cue sappy music. Hey there, Fighting for the Faith podcast listener. Just want to remind you at the top of the program here that Fighting for the Faith is listener-supported radio. You know, no, the music isn't working. Kill the music. Yeah, sorry. I see other guys use sappy music. I uh, Bad idea. Remind me to talk to you after the program. Anyway, just want to remind you, Fighting for the Faith is listener-supported radio. That means we depend upon you, your generous gifts, financial contributions to keep bringing this program to you. If you don't support us financially already, visit our website, fightingforthefaith.com. Click on one of the friendly yellow buttons. Fill it all out. You know what to do. Or if you would like to do the traditional thing, you can make your check payable to Fighting for the Faith. Send that to Post Office Box 508, Fishers, Indiana, zip code 46038. Okay, now you can play your music. Yeah. Enjoy listening to the program. I enjoyed making it. I hope you enjoy listening to it. Here we go. It's time for another edition of Fighting for the Faith. Thursday, September 15th, 2011. All right, I'm convinced I probably won't get to everything today. Oh, boy. That's all right. I'll work it out. Just cut it up into two shows. One for today, one for tomorrow. Thank you for tuning in. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. My name is Chris Rosebro, and I am your servant in Jesus Christ, and this is the program that dishes up a daily dose of biblical discernment, the goal of which help you to think biblically, help you to think critically, and help you compare what people are saying in the name of God to the Word of God. Jesus himself warned us that in the last days there would be false Christs. That would be false anointed folk, if you would. There would be false prophets. There would be wolves in sheep's clothing. And so you got to test. You got to look for the zipper. And that's how you can tell if a wolf is uh, is you know, wearing sheep's clothing. You look for the zipper. Anyway, um, <laughs> it's I find it funny that so many people th- thought that was funny. Anyway, just that's a different story. So um, here's the deal. We got so much ground to cover today. I don't have much of a monologue. In fact... I think I just need to kind of get into it. Let's talk about what we're going to talk about. I got email that I that I got an email I want to read uh, from a uh, apparently a, a good friend of uh, Pastor Dane Bramage, and uh, and so I, I I don't know how I'm getting these emails, but uh, uh, you know Dane Bramage and his apparently he's got friends in Texas, and we're going to be looking at an email that was sent to me today uh, addressing the issue as to whether or not the, uh, the 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 land is rejoicing there in Texas now that the uh, aboriginal curses have been broken yeah i <laughs> i just can't you can't make the stuff up so we're just going to go at it um i've got a uh, patricia king update apparently uh, well it's about time and uh, you, you just got to hear it to believe it that's all i can say you just got to hear it to believe it it's uh, so we got a patricia king update um, and then uh, we'll we'll switch gears, and um, we're going to be talking about is it David Barton of uh, Wall Builders? Uh, David Bar- Barton of Wall Builders. Um, he's been saying stuff uh, well quite a bit lately. 
um, but uh, that is just off. That's like really, really off. And uh, we're going to have to challenge uh, David Barton and his theology. Now, you're going to you'll get what I'm talking about here. We're going to talk about Glenn Beck today. Uh, David Barton, not yesterday, but the day before, said some things on his radio program regarding Glenn Beck that I'm going to basically blow the whistle and throw a red flag and say, yeah, no, that's not what the Bible teaches. And uh, we'll we'll be challenging uh, with, uh, David Barton. And as a bonus, uh, we're going to be uh, listening to some audio of a video on David you know, by David Barton on Kenneth Copeland's uh, uh, television program. Kenneth Copeland's a flat-out word-faith heretic. Um, and uh, that David Barton wouldn't have enough theological sense uh, to know that uh, Kenneth Copeland is a flat-out uh, heretic and a fleecer of God's sheep. He's, he's a money-grubbing um, exploiter of, uh, of Christians or people, oh, maybe they're not even Christians, the ones who attend his church because he doesn't even teach the biblical gospel. But uh, yeah, we're gonna we'll, we'll listen to uh, that today. I've got an Albert Muller piece that I want to read, and a recent piece uh, put out by Brian McLaren. And I don't think I'm gonna get to everything today. Just don't. And then uh, in hour number two, we're going to be reviewing a sermon uh, by a guy that I'm gonna put into the mix, who's well brand new to the program as far as our sermon reviews go. But his name is uh, Pastor Brad Neuschwander. Uh, he uh, pastors. Uh, he and his wife. <clears throat> Uh, pastor a uh, a, a um, word faith church in uh, a, called Life Bible Church in uh, I think it's Harrisburg, uh, Oregon, and uh, we're going to be uh, listening to a sermon of his that uh, just has me scratching my head, going, "Why would anybody think that this has anything to do with what God's Word teaches?" And the name of the uh, sermon is "Hindrances uh, Hindrance to Blessing." Hindrance to Blessing. So. Uh, that's what we're going to be doing in uh, in hour number two today, so you definitely don't want to miss that. But uh, you know, with everything that we're going to get to, I, I just I got to dive right back in, right into it. Here we go. Dun, 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 dun. Right. This uh, email uh, uh, comes to me well from a gentleman who identifies himself as Brother Tex Mercury. Brother Tex Mercury, and uh, and well, let me just read it. You'll you'll see that he he's a he's an acquaintance or a friend of uh, Pastor Dane Bramage, uh, who runs one of those giga churches up there in the Pacific Northwest. Anyways, um, Tex Mercury, Mercury writes. He says, uh, uh, "Mr. Roseboro, a big howdy from the Lone Star State." My name is Brother Tex Mercury, and no, I'm no, I'm in no relation to Freddie. Well, I, I'm glad you clarified that. He says, my friend uh, Dane Bramage in Spokane forwarded me an MP3 of your Cindy Jacobs segment from uh, September 13th uh, edition of Fighting for the Faith, after which you challenged your listeners in Texas to confirm or deny some of the claims ba- made by Miss Jacobs. Well, I'm here to do that now. now first of all. I want to send greetings on behalf of my congregation entitled Crest Risen Trademark. So uh, it's the, the name of it is Crest Risen. Uh, it's not Christ, but Crest. 
risen in a Midland Odessa area. It's Midland Odessa area's most extroverted church, where I serve as pastor in charge of pastoring operations. Okay. Um, any listeners of yours in West Texas who are looking for a church where they'll never be disappointed would be well served by giving us a try. Okay, now on to the matter at hand. Cindy Jacobs referred to the Indian tribes along the pre-colonial Texas coast who practiced cannibalism and how that sin may have come down to us in the form of the cannibalization of other people's ministries. Here in West Texas, the sins of our Native American forefathers were quite different, but no less influential in the spiritual realm. To wit, we have uh, we had few of the cannibalistic tribes that seem to have dominated the Gulf Coast of our great state. However, those down east tribes hardly cornered the market on treachery. Pre-colonial West Texas had its own share of aboriginal shenanigans. Consider, for example, the activities of the Ponzi Indians. Uh, that was not the real name, of course, which was lost to uh, posterity, but anthropologists gave them this moniker based upon their unique intertribal behavior. Specifically, they would sell their land to more than one rival tribe at a time, then split for what is now Oklahoma. They got away with it for uh, generations, but when they tried this shtick with the Spanish exploratory party of Cabeza de Vaca, well, let's just say that the Ponzi's were, uh, weren't long for this world. And though the tribe itself soon vanished, it left a, a heavy residue of generational curses that survives to this day, mainly in the form of an outrageous real estate market for church properties in what is otherwise one of the most inexpensive markets in the country. So, <laughs> wow, I, I had no idea that the Ponzi, uh, the Ponzi Indians were responsible for the high price of church property there in uh, Texas. Anyway, he says, uh, then there were the Greenhawks, an unsavory troop that stocked the per, uh, Permian Basin some 500 years ago. Their unique form of warfare consisted of criticizing the health habits and environmental laxity of neighboring tribes, imposing their own diet and exercise regimens on their weaker-willed neighbors. Some historians believe that Yuli Gibbons of, of the Grape Nuts fame had some Greenhawk blood in him. But as you know, Chris, God will visit to the fourth generation the iniquities of the fathers today. So congregations that strictly enforce gluten-free options for potluck fellowship and who only serve fair trade bird-friendly uh, coffee between Sunday school and the worship service are actually the heirs of centuries-old Greenhawk hegemony. And, yeah, this is quite a uh, history lesson that I'm getting here from uh, Tex Mercury. Anyway, he says, uh, well, as Miss Jacobs noted in the uh, segment that you played, Texans have been uh, interceding mightily in order to break these curses, and our governor, the Honorable Rick Perry, has set about to set things right. And I'm here to tell you, that it is making a difference. The earth is, in fact, rejoicing. And when I say the earth, I mean the earth. You, you see, we have some soil experts down here who have been dumbfounded, dumbfounded by the mysterious transformation of the typically dry soil in the western part of our state. These uh, aridosols, as they are called, have miraculously acquired moisture and nutrients that have enabled the planting of crops where it once would would have been impossible. Soil testing has revealed that the aforementioned nutrients are consistent with quail droppings and a mysterious fertilizer thought to have originated with the Greenhawk tribe. Faith-based soil researchers are calling our, our new hybrid soil 
baptisols, uh, but whatever you call it, the change in the soil has had immediate and dramatic results. For starters, uh, clay, uh, clay taken from the Pecos River Valley has been found to have healing properties. According to a Christian pottery expert, uh, Sufra Newman, however, the clay must be thrown into pottery and then broken in much the same way that the generational curses must be broken. So we've we've seen people emotionally and physically healed, said one 54-year-old Sweetwater native. Uh, one young man was even healed of sinunasal liquid spumant disorder. I, you know, I didn't even know that there was a cure for that. I, I thought that, that that was actually terminal. Wow. Okay, he says, if you, uh, if you jab them with a broken shard then, uh, and they have faith, they will be healed. Just remember to bring a Band-Aid. So plant life has been uh, rejuvenated. In fact, grass has been growing so rapidly in West Texas that as Caesar Jabez, uh, at, at the Caesar Jabez Memorial Park in Avalo, an eight-year-old boy disappeared for a time into the teeming flora, and an Amber Alert was prematurely issued before the boy, unharmed but a bit traumatized, foraged his way back into the jungle gym, a structure whose very name now has been has new meaning. Finally, at the church of our own Sadie uh, Graterton, a widowed uh, octogenarian who stays young by gardening constantly, grew a 42-pound cabbage, which the Lord miraculously transformed into kimchi in order to bless our outreach to the Korean community with a nearby potluck. Well, I, I could go on and on, but you have to. You, but you have a show to do. I just wanted to share with you some of what God has been doing deep in the heart of Texas. And Chris, you're always welcome to come visit us here at Crest. Crest risen um, uh, trademark, but please know that uh, you'll never have to come here and do a conference like you did for that fella in Minnesota. In his service, uh, brother Tex Mercury, um, Tex Mercury. I, thank you for the email update. You know, I, I did, being here in Indiana. I mean, it's it's difficult for me to really ascertain as to what you know the, the facts regarding whether or not the the land there is rejoicing now that Cindy Jacobs has been breaking generational curses from cannibalistic uh, tribes there in the uh, pre-colonial coast of uh, Texas. But I'm glad to hear about the miraculous 42-pound cabbage. That's that's unbelievable. And by the way, uh, I don't know if you know this text, but 42, that's actually quite a significant number. That's actually the answer to the question regarding the meaning of life, the universe, and everything. So and if you're not sure about how to understand how that works out, I recommend a, a pan-galactic gargle blaster. That'll help you get the whole 42 thing. Anyway, thank you for your uh, your email, Brother Tex, and say hi to uh, Pastor uh, Dane Bramage for me if you can. All right, moving along. Now, now, folks, uh, that that means uh, one thing. We're going to be doing a Patricia King update. I don't know if you knew this, but apparently, time is something that you can sow and reap. I, I really had no idea about this. But uh, here's Patricia King to explain the details. Here, here we go. I want to share a testimony with you about expansion of time and creation of time. How many of you have been in a place where you think, oh my gosh, I can't do that. I don't have enough time. Yeah, it's happened to me plenty of times. 
No pun intended, really. I remember uh, years ago uh, when I was a fairly new Christian, a pastor uh, had asked me to help him with a project. And I said, oh, sure, I'd love to help you with that project. And the project required a lot of uh, people doing different things. So I thought, well, I'm going to go through the church directory and find people that aren't busy. I'm going to find people that you know, have lots of time. They're not working outside the home. They're not already working on other projects in the church. And so I called them up and I said, hey, the pastor has a project and I was wondering if you could uh, put a little bit of time into this, donate your time. And, and, and they all said this, I'm sorry, I don't have any time. I don't have enough time. And so they all denied the opportunity to serve the Lord because they didn't have enough time. So I was perplexed. I thought, oh my gosh, they don't have enough time. I wonder what they're doing. But then I went through the list and all that was left were people that were already busy. They were either working at jobs outside the home or already doing a lot within the church. And I thought, I hate to bother them because how are they going to have time? Yeah, I know because they're so busy. You know, but I called them and every single one said, sure, I can do that. I can find time. I thought, God, why is it that all the people that that said that they didn't have enough time, it was like they had actually in the natural, it looked like they had way more time than those who said they did have enough time. And I'm sure God answered your question directly. He, he, you know, Did you sit down at Starbucks with him and have a latte when he answered this little time question? And uh, he said it's because you need to sow time in order to reap time. What? <laughs> Okay, so let me see if I have this straight. You had a conversation with God. You asked him, how come all the busy people seem to have time and the people who apparently would have time don't have time? And God answered this little question of yours directly and said that if you want to have time, you you got to sow time in order to reap time. So time is like, well, like money, apparently, in your theology. You, you got to sow it in order to reap and get Oh, man. I thought we all had just 24 hours in the day, just every single one of us, and you, you got to budget and manage your time correctly. But no, no, no. Apparently, you can sow time and reap it so that you can, you know, um, have more than 24. And and God told her this directly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh-huh. And the more you sow, the more you receive. And so it was years later, and in fact, just a couple years ago, when I was working on a project where I was pretty overwhelmed, I was sitting at my desk thinking, ah, I've got so much work to do, so many things on my to-do list for this project, but I don't have the time, and I'm going away, and I don't have time for this and that. How am I going to get it done? And the Lord reminded me. He said, you have so much time in your heavenly bank account. Oh, what? <laughs> <laughs> Where where do you have that time stored up? I I'm I I'm a little co- confused here. Did did you didn't just say that you've got a heavenly bank account and that God told you this? Um. <laughs> he said you have sown time into worship. You've sown time into prayer. Uh-huh. You've sown time in my service. Yeah. He said. How much time do you want? He says, I'm a creator of time, Uh and I have time waiting to give to you. Uh You see, in the eternal realm... Yeah, color me skeptical. Time is not an issue. You won't find... You know, time in heaven, you'll just find realms of his glory. Yeah, just just a reminder, um, none of this, you, this entire story, yeah, n- none of the principles taught here, this is about sowing and reaping time. 
Nowhere is there even a word of anything like this in the Bible. Um, so this is an extra biblical revelation that apparently uh, Patricia King's getting. And who knew that, you know, that time is something that you could sow and reap and that it, and then when you sow it, and, and it gets reaped for you and put into a heavenly bank account. Mm-hmm. Right. You know, and so for God to give you time in this earthly dimension is nothing for him. Of course. He's the creator of it. Yeah. Huh? So that means he could just give you any time that you need. He created time right in, in Genesis 1. It's a created substance. Uh-huh. And if you've sown it, you can reap it. Really? Uh-huh. This makes me wonder if they should have mandatory drug screening out there at XP Media. And, and so if you are watching this clip today and you think, ah, I don't have time, I'm here to tell you that if you've sown time, just reach up by faith into your heavenly bank account and receive it. That So, okay, so that's the way you make a withdrawal. Okay, so, okay, now, so we got a heavenly bank account. No word of this bank account anywhere in the Bible, but don't worry. God told Patricia, and I'm sure that's exactly how it went down. The the real God of the real Bible, the one who really created the universe in six days, um, he sat down and had a conversation with uh, Patricia, you know, face to face meeting, and and uh, and you know, and she had a latte, and he had a, a macchiato, and. And he was just, it just so blase, just so, you know, matter of fact, just, oh, by the way, you know, time, you know, it's a substance, you know, you can sow it and, and you can reap it. And, 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 and if you sow and reap it, it's stored into a heavenly bank account. And the only thing you need to do to make a withdrawal is to, you know, reach up by faith and grab some of it and bring it down into your life. Sounds so practical, doesn't it? Yeah. Um, Mm-hmm. Yeah. In my office, I just spent some time with the Lord. I said, okay, Lord, I want to thank you that you're a good God. And you say that in the measure that you sow, you also reap. And so I'm here to receive by faith the time that I need to finish this project. And I just by faith received it. I didn't feel anything. I didn't have a visible angel show up in the room. I- so, so time doesn't feel like anything. It just, okay. I didn't have lightnings crash in on me. Mm-hmm. I just simply received it by faith and started working on the project again. Yeah, I didn't yeah. feel any shift or any change. I just took it by faith. Uh-huh. Before long, all of a sudden I realized everything's done and I had time to spare. No way. You, so you, you, you took out too much. Uh, can you if if you if you withdraw too much money, can you redeposit it so that you can use it later? Hmm, I, I'm I'm curious. The miracle had taken place. Mm-hmm. Whatever you have need of, especially if it's in the realm of time, mm. God will give it to you. Have you sown time? Yeah, I, I. Where do I find time seeds so that I can sow them and then reap them later? Then get ready to reap uh-huh. by faith. Just lay hold of it now. Because there's enough time for you to accomplish everything that you need to do. Remember the story in the Bible where they were hard-pressed and they needed some more time. Who was they? What, what, what story are you referring to in the Bible? Are you referring to that story in the book of Joshua where God caused the sun to stand still? And so God gave them another day. He just stayed the sun. Yeah, I knew it. Yeah, Stephen Furtick stuff. Until, until they won the battle. You know, God is good. Whatever you need, he'll give to you. You need time, it's on its way. (laughs) I mean, um, you know, I think that Patricia King 
putting that video together and teaching all that false doctrine um, was a complete waste of time. You know, how, how about you? All right, we're up on our first break. Man, that was crazy. Uh, if you would like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so. My email address, talkback at fightingforthefaith.com, or you can ask to be my friend on Facebook. It's facebook.com forward slash pirate Christian. You can follow me on Twitter. My name there, Pirate Christian. We'll be right back. Because only good theology leads people to heaven. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. You're listening to Pirate Christian Radio. We'll be taking your false doctrine now. <laughs> take place. He wants to see God break every stronghold of the enemy in your life, healing you emotionally, physically, even in your relationships, bringing salvation to your entire household. Call now and receive both Rabbi Michael Zeitler's anointed audio CD, Sound of the Shofar, plus his brand new prophetic book, Why Israel is Supernatural, for a donation of $25. Shipping and handling is included. Ask for offer number 9081. Listen to this anointed audio CD. Allow God's glory to fill the room as Rabbi Zeitler shares from the scriptures and then blows the shofar far over every issue you are facing, including mental and emotional disorders, confusion, fear, stress, grief, nightmares, insomnia, pain, sickness and disease, addictions, eating disorders, weight loss, injustices, persecution, finances, marriages, rebellious children, freedom from the occult and demonic oppression, and so much more. Through Rabbi Zeitler's brand new prophetic book, Why Israel is Supernatural, you will learn how you and your family can obtain supernatural protection in the midst of the end time judgments about to be unleashed on planet Earth. Don't miss out on getting both Rabbi Michael Zeitler's anointed audio CD, Sound of the Shofar, plus his brand new prophetic book, Why Israel is Supernatural, for a donation of $25. Shipping and handling is included. Ask for offer number 9081. Call or write today. Keep more of your money in your pocket. Hi, Chris Roseborough here. If you're planning to travel anytime in the near future, then don't pay more for airfare, hotel rooms, or rental cars than you need to. Longtime Pirate Christian Radio featured advertiser Cheap O Air can save you a Tijuana taxi load of money 
on all of your travel needs. Plus, Cheapo Air has a seasonal promotional code for all of our listeners that will save you an additional $10 off of Cheapo Air's already low prices. Visit piratechristianradio.com forward slash cheap, write down the promo code, and then click on the banner, and then book your travel today. Again, that's piratechristianradio.com forward slash cheap. All right, we're back. Warning, Patricia King is a wingnut. She's not a prophetess. She's not really hearing from God. In the past, they used to take people like that to the little padded rooms for good reason. Just a reminder, Fighting for the Faith is listener-supported radio. That means we depend upon you, your generous gifts, financial contributions in order to continue to bring Fighting for the Faith to you as well as to the world. You can partner with us financially by visiting our website, fightingforthefaith.com. When you get there, you will see two friendly yellow buttons. One says donate, the other says join our crew. When you join our crew, you're signing up to automatically contribute $6.95 on a monthly basis to the ongoing work and mission of Fighting for the Faith and Pirate Christian Radio. And of course, if you would like to specify the amount that you would like to contribute, you can do so by clicking on the donate button or you can make your gift payable to fighting for the faith and send it to post office box 508 fishers indiana zip code 46038 i believe that the lord god created the universe i believe that he sent his only son to die for my sins and i believe that ancient jews built boats and sailed to Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's the uh, from the musical The Book of Mormon, uh, runaway hit there on Broadway. And I use that to uh, segment, uh, segue into what we're going to talk about today. And I need to uh, make something perfectly clear because I, I, I can anticipate uh, the, uh, the response that I'm going to get for what I'm about to say. And uh, so let me, uh, let me take away that critique. Um, I am not a liberal. There isn't a liberal bone in my body. Um, I used to be the treasurer for the Republican Central Committee in uh, in California's uh, 43rd and 44th congressional districts. And uh, and so I, I say all of this to basically take away the critique that somehow I am working for some vast left-wing conspiracy of wingnuts who are trying to uh, promote some kind of liberal communist uh, socialistic agenda. Far, 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 far from it. Um, no, and you know that's just not, it, 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 you know. So that that's not what I'm about. Okay, I'm about biblical truth on this program. In fact, we don't really do politics on this program unless politics steers into religion. This is all about proclaiming sound biblical doctrine and proclaiming the biblical gospel of Jesus Christ. That being the case, I have got to take uh, issue with and publicly rebuke David Barton of Wall Builders. Because this guy is mixing politics and religion to the point where he doesn't think that sound biblical doctrine and theology actually matters. He's so far gone in his theology that he actually thinks that Glenn Beck 
is a fellow Christian, a, a brother in Jesus Christ. And I'm going to let him explain it to you. This was from the uh, uh, September 13th edition of uh, the Wall Builders radio program. And uh, here is David Barton. Okay, you and me okay. just talk Bible here for a minute. We're both Christians. What does the Bible say the requirement is to be a Christian? Well, to confess Jesus as your Lord and Savior. Romans ten nine and ten with the the heart with the mouth confession is made with the heart uh, you, you believe. So it doesn't and, say go to the right church with the right label. It doesn't say go to the right church. It doesn't say what label. It, 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 and remember, we go back in Acts sixteen uh, thirty one. 1631, real simple. The jailer said, what must I do to be saved? Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. You and your house will be saved. Then we're told in Matthew 10, 28, that if you confess me before men, I'll confess you before my Father. Uh, we're told over in Acts 5, 12, there's no other name that you can be saved by except the name of Jesus. I mean, there's all this simple stuff. And so salvation's a fairly easy process. I mean, okay, it's now, fairly easy. I got to point something out here. All of the verses that he's talked about regarding salvation are flat out true. I mean, he's citing correct verses as it deals with Christian soteriology. No problem there. But here's the problem, okay? 2 Corinthians chapter 11. I would like to read for you what the Apostle Paul wrote under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. He says, I wish you would bear with me a little foolishness. Do bear with me, for I feel a divine jealousy for you since I betrothed you to one husband to present you as a pure virgin to Christ. But I am afraid that as the serpent deceived Eve by his cunning, your thoughts will be led astray from a sincere and pure devotion to Christ. For if someone comes to you and proclaims another Jesus than the one that we proclaimed, or if you receive a different spirit from the one you received, or if you accept a different gospel from the one you accepted, you put up with it readily enough. Now, the Apostle Paul here is not praising the Corinthian church. He's rebuking them. He's warning them. Why? Because the devil masquerades as an angel of light, and he basically comes to us as another Jesus with a different gospel and a different spirit. Now, I'm going to pause right here, and I'm going to play for you one of uh, one of my favorite Marty Python sketches, uh, the original Build a God sketch. And I and I need to do this in order to make the point that I'm making here. And that is is that there are false Christs out there, and it the theological details matter. So here's the original Build a God sketch to kind of make the point. It's Python's Flying Circus Church. Welcome to Build-A-God. How can I help you? Hello. I received a Build-A-God certificate for my birthday, so I'm here to build my own deity. Oh, this has got to be so exciting for you. Oh, it really is. Okay, let's get started. The first thing we have to do is determine whether your god is male, female, or unisex. Men are pigs anyway. She has to be female. Great choice. Now we have to select some of the attributes of your goddess. What do you provide? Do you want her to be kind, loving, compassionate, just, angry, righteous, wrathful? The goddess I believe in would only be loving and kind. Perfect. Now, is there any kind of sin that needs tending to by your goddess? Sin? 
you know, things like lying, cheating, stealing, murder, homosexuality. Well, I definitely want my goddess to be gay-affirming, and sin itself just feels so negative. I'm a good person, and I think my goddess will think everyone else is too. Oh, wonderful! Your goddess is coming along beautifully! Now we have to get to the difficult questions. Does your goddess offer an afterlife? Yes! My goddess would let everyone go to heaven. Except for Hitler, Genghis Khan, my good-for-nothing ex-boyfriend. Oh, excellent! Excellent! Now for the final step. You have to name your goddess. Hmm... I think I'm going to name her Jesus. Oh, wonderful! That's what everyone names their god! Alright, so that's the original Build-A-God Marty Python sketch. And the reason I play that is to make a point. Just because the name of your Savior is Jesus doesn't mean that your Savior is the historical biblical Jesus. Here's the reason why. Because the theological details matter. Jesus Christ is God the Son, second person of the Holy Trinity, who is has existed for all eternity. He has always been God. He has never not been God. But the God of Joseph Smith is different than the God of the Bible. Even though the book of, you know, basically Mormons, well, they believe in the Bible. They believe in the Bible insofar as it's correctly translated. And any place where the where you confront them with their doctrine and say that's not what the Bible teaches, they'll say, well, it's just not correctly translated. And they rely heavily on the King James Bible. But see, the thing is, they've put alongside of the Bible the Book of Mormon, Doctrine and Covenants, the Pearl of Great Price, and uh, and also the prophets, uh, the the writings of the prophets of uh, of all of the Mormon church. And the Jesus they believe in is not God the Son, second person of the Holy Trinity, who has existed from all eternity. In fact, the Jesus they believe in, there was a time, there was many, 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 many millennia, millions, billions of years that Jesus actually didn't exist. Why? Because the God they believe in, his name is Elohim, and Elohim lived on a planet a long, long, long time ago, and he earn the right to become a god by being obedient to his god and following the precepts and rules and morals of his god. So while Elohim was alive on the planet that he was supposedly alive on, obeying his god, well, Jesus didn't exist. He wasn't eternal. You know, their god, their Jesus isn't eternal. But good news is, is that Elohim did what was necessary to earn the right to become a god and he lives near a, 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 a mysterious star named Kolob. He and his wives procreate on their planet. He has multiple wives creating spiritual babies. Now, Jesus and Lucifer are two of the children of uh, Elohim's procreation with his many different wives. And um, and Jesus and Lucifer, at, at, at some kind of council of the gods, when they were planning planet Earth, you know, to give you know, and to give physical bodies to all the spirit children born to Elohim and his wives near this mysterious star named Kolob. If you've ever been to Utah, you, the, you've heard of the Kolob Mountain Range? Yeah, it's named after the supposed star base 
that uh, that Elohim live, lives near. And apparently Lucifer, he wanted to, you know, basically not give people freedom of, of, of thought and choice and wanted to force everybody to become gods. But Jesus ruled the day at this council by basically telling you know telling the the council of the other deities that that he wanted to give uh, give the, the the children of earth free choice as to whether or not they wanted to become gods or not and they chose Jesus's plan over Lucifer's plan remember they're brothers and um and what happened is is Lucifer was so upset that uh, he he convinced a third of the of the spirit children and, and and the angels to rebel against Elohim and there was a war and they were cast to earth as uh, well, I think the as the story goes, um, dark with darkened skin. That's how the original story goes. But anyway, um, so um, here's the deal: the Jesus of Mormonism is not, un, by any stretch of the imagination, isn't even close to the biblical historical Jesus. This is falls under Paul's warning to the Corinthian church, which extends to us to for us. Not to be deceived the way Eve was deceived by the serpent, that's Satan, into believing in another Jesus, another spirit, and another gospel. Okay? Because Satan masquerades as an angel of light. So, yeah, uh, the verses so far that David Barton has played for, you know, has mentioned for us regarding salvation, well, they're absolutely true. The thing is, is that they don't apply to a single Mormon. And the reason why is because the Jesus they believe in is not, is not the same Jesus that that the apostles spent their time with, you know, for three years traipsing around the Judean countryside. It's not the same Jesus. The details matter. That's why I played that build god sketch. So with that, let's continue to hear David Barton and uh, his claims regarding Glenn Beck. See measurement. How do you know when you're saved? Well, by your profession and by your fruit. By your fruit, yeah. Uh, and I, I don't really care. I, I know a lot of people who say they're saved and they don't bear any fruit. I know some people who bear fruit. It looks like they're saved, but I haven't really heard them say that. Yeah. So it takes both of them together. So the biblical requirements for what it takes to be a Christian is you confess with your mouth, you believe with your heart, and you will be saved. By the way, the, the Romans passage that you confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord, um, David, you're not paying attention here. Have you? I, I'm curious, David, have you actually been trained theologically? Because you you show um, a, a, a lack of astuteness when it comes to uh, understanding what the Bible is actually saying. The reason I say that is because the the phrase "Jesus is Lord." Um, let me read this for you. It's from uh, the Book of Romans, chapter ten. Here's what it says: um, If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses. What does the phrase Jesus is Lord mean? Answer, the term Lord is a loaded, theologically loaded phrase. In this particular case, you're confessing that Jesus Christ is God. It's exactly what you're doing because in the Old Testament, you know, the, the, the phrase that we constantly see being used for Yahweh, it always gets transliterated as, as Lord, 
Okay, When somebody is saying that Jesus Christ is Lord, they're confessing that Jesus Christ is Yahweh, that he is the God of the Old Testament. In other words, that he's Elohim, because there's no difference. You see, saying that Jesus, confessing that Jesus Christ is Lord, is not saying, oh yeah, he's just Lord. That's not, it's not saying, I've just made him the, um, the ruler of my life, or my boss, or my master. That's not, that's not exactly what's going on here. To say that Jesus Christ is Lord is to confess him to be the God of the Old Testament. That's exactly what this means. And David Barton here, just showing that he is... Um, theologically, woefully not trained correctly. And it just so happens, I learned Mormonism from the Mormons. And uh, counter-cult ministry is something I've spent, well, decades doing. I know about Mormon theology from the inside because I've been taught it by the Mormons. I've, I've literally spent so many hours and days with different Mormon missionaries that uh, you know I've lost track of how many I've actually talked to in the course of my counter-cult ministry career. But I can tell you this, they're not Christians. The Jesus they believe in is a false god. It's a false Jesus. It's the it's the Jesus of Joseph Smith's imagination, not the Jesus of Scripture, not the historical Jesus. So David Barton here is falling really flat because he's just saying, well, all somebody has to do is confess that Jesus Christ is Lord and 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 bear some fruit in their life, i.e., life change. They clean up their act. That you see some moral scrubbing up going on, and poof, they're Christians without any details regarding what they believe theologically about who Jesus is. We continue. Pretty simple stuff. Now, mention... And then the fruit. Then, and then, then the you fruit, would see the fruit, the fruit has to align. Real. Fruit has to align with it. Yeah. And so, mentioned yesterday when we were talking about what went on in Israel, that after we left Israel, went to South Africa, from South Africa to South America, and South America back to Texas. And on that Sunday morning, uh, Glenn and I spoke at a church, in a large church in Texas. You took Glenn back to a church, and you let him speak in a Christian congregation. You've got to be kidding me. Several thousand folks in the church. And in that church, I want you to hear what Glenn said, because he started out with his testimony of how Jesus had changed his life. Listen to what Glenn says. Okay, now listen carefully. Here we go. But I, I want to start by testifying to you that the Lord Jesus Christ is my Savior and Redeemer. Sounds great, doesn't it? It sounds so Christian. But see, that's the whole point of Mormonism, is that they've taken all of our Christian terminology and poured out the biblical meaning and poured in their own meaning. Each and every word, Savior, Redeemer, Jesus, and Lord, means something different than what the Bible says. I was about as low as I could possibly get. I had violated absolutely everything he had asked me to do. I was riddled with addiction. I had, (laughs) and there was no hope. It was what Moses talked about. Choose life or death. When I was down on my uh, apartment that I could barely afford, I was down on my apartment floor. I think it was $700 a month, and I could not make ends meet. And um, I was on the floor, uh, rolled up in a ball, and I had nowhere else to turn. I had a choice, life or death. I turned it over to him. And I remember when I got into the waters of baptism, in my head, I was shouting at the Lord. And I told him in my arrogance still at this time, you promised me 
that you will take all of my sins, all of the things that I've done, and you will erase them if I just do what you tell me to do. Stop. That's not the biblical gospel. I want you to hear it again. I'm going to back this up. This is what he believes because Mormonism teaches, literally, that you are saved by grace through faith after everything you can do. That's what Mormonism teaches. That's directly from the Book of Mormon. Now listen again. Is this salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, by Christ's work alone? Or God's going to forgive you if you obey? Listen carefully to the details of Glenn Beck's testimony. Here we go again. In my arrogance still at this time, you promised me that you will take all of my sins, all of the things that I've done, and you will erase them if I just do what you tell me to do. That's not the gospel. That's flat-out works righteousness. You have to earn God's forgiveness by your obedience. This is a different gospel. And of course it's a different gospel. Glenn Beck is a Mormon. He's not a Christian. In my arrogance, I said to him, you cease to be God if you break your promise. I will not break my word. So Glenn Beck's going to keep his word. Uh huh. You cease to be God if you break yours. I have a much more mature understanding over 10 years. <laughs> yeah. I was realizes how arrogant that I was now. It, but I meant it, and I'm never going back to that darkness ever again. So that's Glenn Beck giving his testimony in a Christian evangelical congregation, and they're all thinking that the, this guy's given a Christian testimony and that he's a Christian brother. So, I, I mean, well, now, let, listen to the last okay. part here. Okay. God is a God of miracles. And if he can save a wretch like me, he can save anybody. Now, okay, we're, Glenn says he's Mormon. Okay, that's fine. No, no, no. Glenn is a Mormon. He doesn't say that he's a Mormon. Glenn, when, when Glenn Beck says, quote, I'm a Mormon... He means he's a Mormon. He means he believes that Joseph Smith is a prophet of God. He believes in Elohim. He believes that Jesus is the spirit child or child of Elohim. He believes that God, the heavenly father, Elohim, had sex with the Virgin Mary to produce Jesus. That's what the Mormon prophets teach. He believes that by being obedient to Elohim's precepts that he can someday become a god himself. So if this is not just some label that he's put upon himself. The label means something. It means something because to say you're a Mormon is to say that you believe what the Mormon church believes, teaches, and confesses. It's not just a label. It's not like a bumper sticker that or a name tag that somebody slaps on themselves. It means that they believe, teach, and confess certain things regarding who God is, how people are saved, and how they and and what salvation means. We continue. Based on what you heard, 
If you heard a Baptist say that, or if you heard a Methodist say that, if you heard a Presbyterian say that, what would you say? I would say that wasn't the biblical gospel. Why? Because he believes that he will earn God's forgiveness through his obedience. Anybody, regardless of whether or not they identify as a Presbyterian, Baptist, Methodist, Lutheran, or whatever, who says something like that, I'd say that's not the biblical gospel. And I have a three-year-long track record of saying stuff like that on this radio program. They clearly had a real conversion. They had a real conversion. Yeah. N- no, he didn't. He had a real conversion to Mormonism, not Christianity. Why is it not a real conversion? Because of the label he wears. Yeah. No, it's not the label he wears. It's the theology he confesses. See, so, so you're not saying you're not defending Mormonism. Oh no, you're not, no, no, you're not no, saying no. that's a theology. I'm not you defending agree with. Baptist or Methodist but or anybody you're else. You're saying as an individual. As Don't look an at individual. the label. Look at the individual. Is the fruit there? It was their conversion. Have they confessed? Is the fruit there? And when you and you know Glenn well. Yeah. I mean, you see, Glenn has not confessed that Jesus Christ is Lord. Not the way the Bible defines that. Glenn Beck does not believe in salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, by Christ's shed blood on the cross alone. He believes that you are saved by grace through faith after everything you can do. Glenn Beck does not believe that Jesus Christ is the eternal Son of God. No, Glenn Beck believes that there was a time when Jesus didn't exist and that he is the, he is literally the offspring of Elohim and one of his many wives who lives near Starbase Kolob. You get what I'm saying here? David Barton is doing a supreme disservice to the body of Christ, and his radio program is heard on many, 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 many Christian radio stations across the country. This is not right. And to kind of further prove that... Uh, David Barton, uh, just biblically, um, is, well, let's just say, not very astute. Here is David Barton and Kenneth Copeland, the word faith heretic, on Kenneth Copeland's program discussing things as, uh, politics as a spiritual battle. Here we go. And I'll tell you one of the things, too, that we'll never get right until we understand this is that it is a spiritual battle. We're told in Ephesians it's not flesh and blood. We're, we're dealing yeah. with spirits. And I'll tell you, out, out of Daniel praying, you know, why did that answer get delayed for 21 days? Because the prince of Persia fought against him. There are principalities that sit over certain areas. And I can tell this in the U.S. Capitol. When I walk from the House side to the Senate side, I cross the middle line of the Capitol, I can feel a different principality. Really? So you have a principality feeler within you. Are you a medium? Are you a spiritist? How do you feel different principalities? Hmm? Because they have jurisdictions over different things. And there are principalities that sit over the top of government entities that cause them to think really goofy. And you, you can't get prayers through. They get delayed 21 days because the principalities up there fighting in the, in the heavenlies. Cause so apparently there's different principalities. There's a different principality over the United States House and the different principality over the United States Senate. And they're out there blocking prayers from getting in. You know, mm-hmm. Okay, yeah. But, and if you don't understand this is a spiritual battle, and if you don't understand that there are really big principalities and powers sitting over places of power, whether it be banking or education. I mean, there's, there's principalities that sit over schools to keep those kids from getting sure. knowledge. There's principalities that sit over financial institutions. They princi- sit over households. They sit over households. So you might have a principality sitting right over your house. I mean, that, that's why you have... That was Ken Copeland, by the way. Principalities and powers and, you know, that, that gradation. That, and you have, the, you have the corporals and you have the sergeants and you have the lieutenants. And the... Now, I'm not saying that um, 
that Satan isn't organized. I'm not saying that there's no such thing as principalities and powers. What I'm basically saying here is that um, this seems like a supreme mixing of politics and religion, the type of which we're not called to do. And the problem here is is that um, I think David Barton is far more concerned about his political, you know, forwarding his conservative political agenda than he is about accuracy regarding theological things. I think it's time for uh, David Barton to engage in a separation of politics and religion to the point where, um, you know, listen, I don't have a problem with you working with uh, Glenn Beck or atheists or whomever. Uh, to forward, you know, to get a, a a good conservative person in the White House, no problem with that whatsoever. But don't bring somebody who's a Mormon into a Christian church and try to pass them off to me as if they're a Christian because they're not. David, you need to repent. You're teaching false doctrine, and you're passing off Glenn Beck as a Christian brother who's had a genuine Christian conversion experience. He hasn't. He's had a genuine Mormon conversion experience, and all that fruit that he's bearing isn't going to do him a hill of beans. The reason why is because he does not confess the one Jesus Christ, Son of God, begotten of the Father, before all worlds, light of light, God of God, very God of very God, begotten, not made, being of one substance with the Father, by whom all things were made, who for us men and for our salvation came down from heaven and was incarnate of the Holy Spirit of the Virgin Mary and was made man. No, he's not confessing that Jesus. He confesses a completely different one. So, um, yeah, and I seriously doubt that uh, you are a medium or a spiritist so that you can feel different principalities and realize, oh, I've just left the neighborhood of, of Principality X and entered the neighborhood of Principality Y. Your theology is a mess. Stick to politics and American history and stay away from this stuff because you're not teaching people correctly. All right, we're up on our second break. If you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so. My email address, talkback at fightingforthefaith.com, or you can ask to be my friend on Facebook. It's facebook.com forward slash pirate Christian. Follow me on Twitter, pirate Christian. We'll, We'll be right back. We don't need to rethink Christianity. We need to rediscover it. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. This is the air I breathe. This is the air I breathe. I've had enough. Of this sissy, pansy, cunning, photo-written music you have the audacity to call worship. Men, put this entire girly praise band in the boo box. Let's wheel in the organ and get some real worship music underway. Ye be listening to Pirate Christian Radio. Keep more of your money in your pocket. 
Hi, Chris Roseborough here. If you're planning to travel anytime in the near future, then don't pay more for airfare, hotel rooms, or rental cars than you need to. Longtime Pirate Christian Radio featured advertiser Cheap O Air can save you a Tijuana taxi load of money on all of your travel needs. Plus, Cheap O Air has a seasonal promotional code for all of our listeners that will save you an additional $10 off of Cheap O Air's already low prices. Visit piratechristianradio.com forward slash cheap, write down the promo code, and then click on the banner, and then book your travel today. Again, that's piratechristianradio.com forward slash cheap. All right, we're back. Hour number two, sermon review time. Putting a new pastor in our mix. The good, the bad, the ugly, we review it all here at Fighting for the Faith. We are an equal opportunity sermon reviewing service. Today's sermon comes to us via Life Bible Church, Harrisburg, Oregon, Pastor Brad Neuschwander presiding. get into our sermon, I would like to read to you a passage of scripture from the epistle written by the half-brother of Jesus. His name is Jude. Let me kill the music here, although I love it. Um, Jude, starting in verse 3, Beloved, although I was very eager to write to you about our common salvation, I found it necessary to write to you appealing to you to contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. For certain people have crept in unnoticed who long ago were designated for this condemnation. They are ungodly people who pervert the grace of God into sensuality and deny our only Master and Lord Jesus Christ. Now, I want to remind you that although you once fully knew it, that Jesus, who saved a people out of the land of Egypt, afterwards destroyed those who did not believe. And the angels who did not stay with their own position of authority but left their proper dwelling, he has kept in eternal chains under gloomy darkness until the judgment of the great day, just as Sodom and Gomorrah and the surrounding cities, which likewise indulged in sexual immorality and pursued unnatural desire, serve as an example by undergoing a punishment of eternal fire. Yet in like manner, these people also, relying on their dreams, defile the flesh, reject authority, and blaspheme the glorious ones. 
But when the angel, Mark Angel Michael, contending with the devil, was disputing about the body of Moses, he did not presume to pronounce a blasphemous judgment, but said, The Lord rebuke you. But these people blaspheme all that they do not understand, and they are destroyed by all that they, like unreasoning animals, understand instinctively. Woe to them, for they walk in the way of Cain, and abandon themselves for the sake of gain to, to Balaam's error, and perished in Korah's rebellion. I recommend spending some time. Look up Balaam's error and look at what happened at Korah's rebellion. These are hidden reefs at your love feasts as you feast with them without fear, as they feast with you without fear. Shepherds feeding only themselves. They are waterless clouds swept along by the winds, fruitless trees in late autumn. They are twice dead. They are uprooted. Wild waves of the sea casting up the foam of their own shame. They are wandering stars for whom the gloom of utter darkness has been reserved forever. The Bible warns us so clearly about people who are false teachers. You can tell that they're false teachers because they rely on their dreams. They teach mythology. That's why the Apostle Paul, writing to Timothy, says, Preach the word in season and out of season, for a time will come when people will not endure sound doctrine, but will gather around themselves teachers who will tell them what their itching ears want to hear, and they will wander away off into myths. As we listen to this sermon delivered by Brad uh, Neuschwander, I just want you to answer a simple question right off the bat. Um, what is the source of this particular word of God? Is it the Bible? Or is it his own dreams and visions? I've listened to enough of this man's sermons to know we've got a big problem there in uh, Oregon. Huge problem. This guy is not a correct handler of God's word. And unfortunately, um, we're going to have to sit through one of his prayers because he kind of has a false ending to this particular sermon. So without any further ado, here is Pastor Brad Neuschwander and his sermon entitled Hindrance to Blessing. Here we go. There's so many things that I have in my spirit to talk about this morning and to... Don't you have a Bible that you should be preaching, sir? Um, hmm. Yeah, I always get really, really skeptical, nervous, uh, throw a red flag, blow a whistle, send up a flare, you know, whatever you uh, is necessary. When a pastor begins like this, i got so many things I need to share with you that the Lord is speaking into my heart. Uh, pastors are not supposed to be preaching about any such things. They're supposed to be preaching the Word. You know, the Bible, you've heard of it? released to the congregation. You know, this is a very important weekend. And uh, obviously there's some that are gone, which is wonderful and fine taking vacations as people have planned that. That's wonderful. But I believe that this weekend God is going to drop a memorial stone in our own life. <clears throat> you believe God's going to drop a memorial stone? Hmm. Yeah, that's that's great and all. Um, yeah, um, your job is to preach the word, not to. I mean, what does it mean? God's gonna drop a memorial stone. Hmm. You know, like the children of Israel, as it said in the book of Joshua in chapter four, that they piled up stones that came out of the river as markers of what God's faithfulness and what He was doing. And so today, 
as we get ready. So, so God's not going to drop a real stone in your life. You, you know, you just kind of make an allusion to the story in Joshua chapter four without actually ever teaching it. What is it that God did in the lives of the Israelites there? What is it that God did? What's that whole memorial stone thing there in the uh, the text? Why don't you preach that? I mean, I mean, you're making an allusion to it, and you claim that you believe that God's going to drop a memorial stone in the lives of these people. But um, <clears throat> uh, if we were to read the story in context from Joshua chapter four, um, would we would would this sound like anything that God is intending to do in our lives? Answer: Nope. Back, we're going to have to take a look at this passage in context. Let's let's take a look at this because I'm unlike what um, Brad is doing here. I'm going to actually teach the Bible. He won't, so I will. If you have your Bible, flip on over to the book of Joshua. It's in the Old Testament, chapter three. Joshua, chapter three, and here's what it says: The people of Israel are getting ready to pass over out of the wilderness into the Promised Land through the Jordan. Okay. Here's what it says, verse 14. So when the people set out from their tents to pass over the Jordan with the priests bearing the Ark of the Covenant before the people, and as soon as those bearing the Ark had come as far as the Jordan, the feet of the priests bearing the Ark were dipped in the brink of the water. Now the Jordan overflows all its bank throughout, banks throughout the time of the harvest. The waters coming down from above stood up in a heap very far away. At Adam, the city that is beside Zarathon, and those flowing down toward the Sea of Arabah, the Salt Sea, they were completely cut off, and the people passed over opposite of Jericho. Now the priests bearing the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord stood firmly on dry ground in the midst of the Jordan, and all Israel was passing over on dry ground until all the nation had finished passing over the Jordan. You'll notice this is a similar, a similar miracle to what happened when the children of Israel were coming out of Egypt, you know, passing through the Red Sea on dry ground. Okay, the the water heaped up on either side. So this is a miracle that's going on. They have the Ark of the Covenant. They the the priests touch the waters of the Jordan. The waters build up in a heap, and they stand on dry ground in the middle of the Jordan. By the way, this isn't something that we get to do today. I, you know, if you if you want to try it, go ahead. First, you got to find the Ark of the Covenant. Um, good luck. Um, but uh, when you and I, if we were to go to Israel and you put our feet in the Jordan, it wouldn't stand up in a heap. This is not a miracle to be um, duplicated. This is a miracle, a miracle to be remembered what God had done. So when all the nation had finished, this is chapter 4, uh, had finished passing over the Jordan, the Lord said to Joshua, take 12 men from the people of each, uh, uh, from each tribe and command them, saying, take 12 stones from here out of the midst of the Jordan from the very place where the priests' feet stood firmly and bring them over with you and then lay them down in the place where you lodge tonight. Then Joshua called the twelve men from the people of Israel whom he had appointed, a man from each tribe, and Joshua called the twelve men from the people of Israel whom he had appointed, and Joshua said to them, Pass on before the ark of the Lord your God and into the midst of the Jordan and take up each of you a stone upon his shoulder according to the number of tribes of the people of Israel, that this may be a sign among you when your children ask in time to come, what do these stones mean? Then you shall tell them that the waters of the Jordan were cut off before the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord when it passed over the Jordan. The waters of the Jordan were cut off, so these stones shall never be to the people shall shall be to the people of Israel a memorial forever. Okay? So here we got we got uh, Pastor Brad. 
here, starting off with him believing that God's going to drop a memorial stone for them in that congregation, um, which basically is um, the equivalent of um, Bible gibberish. That doesn't mean anything. Because in the historical events that are recorded in the Bible, those were real stones that were really taken out of the middle of the Jordan River as the people of Israel really passed through on dry ground by a miracle of God. And those stones were taken out of the dead center of the Jordan River, and they were heaped up as a memorial so that when their children asked, what do these stones mean? Ah, I'm glad you asked. This is the place where the children of Israel, where our forebears came across the Jordan. God caused a miracle to happen. They came through on dry ground. And the kids go, oh, wow. As they recall the miracles that God that God did in bringing them through the wilderness, out of slavery, into the promised land, and settling them in their inheritance. All great stuff. So here Brad is just kind of starting off, well, I really believe that God is going to uh, drop a memorial stone in our midst. Really? Hmm, where's it going to fall? On your head? Ready to get into the things that God has for us, I believe that there is some... Some things that need to be that need to take place in the spirit. Fact is, I'm probably just going to come down and talk to you, uh, not from just a preaching standpoint, but from to give you a perspective of what I'm seeing and what I'm hearing and what I believe that the Lord wants me to share. And I think as a church, we need to. What I'm seeing, what I believe the Lord wants me to share. God's word is clear. God wants you to read and preach and proclaim His word and proclaim Christ and Him crucified for our sins. That's what God's word says. Is that what you're going to do, Brad? Respond. And as I get into this, I'm just asking you to open your heart and to hear what the Spirit of God is saying in regard to this. Now, before we start, let me just give some rules of engagement here. This in no way is a rebuke. Not a rebuke. Turn to your neighbor and say, this is not a rebuke. This is a word of warning. And warnings... Well, that's so much better. I'm, I'm glad it's not a rebuke, but only a word of warning. Okay, so God the Holy Spirit has apparently revealed this to you directly, and it's a word of warning. Hmm, do you, have you had Starbucks with Patricia King? I'm, I'm curious. Don't necessarily have to be bad or harsh things. They're simply a reminder that unless something is looked after then something bad might happen afterwards. But if you listen to the warning, it's a great thing. Now, sometimes as senior pastor, you can, whether you're senior pastor or you're just part of the leadership team of the house, you can get so familiar with the atmosphere and the climate that sometimes you need to take a step away. And a lot of times that's what God allows me to do in traveling to different nations and going to different churches that when I come back in and a reentry point, it's a time of getting recalibrated. You get into a, you're into another environment, you're praying for another church, you're praying for a whole bunch of other people. And at least it is this way for me. I've asked other pastors and leaders that pastor churches, if they get this way, that it doesn't matter how much I try to sleep or how tired I am on that reentry flight, my mind and my spirit are so activated that I can't go to sleep because I'm always thinking about getting the pulse 
of what's happening as we, as we move into climates over nations. Now, maybe that's just the way I'm geared. Who is he preaching about right now? Oh, yeah, that, that would be he's preaching about himself. He's not actually preaching about Christ. And he's not really preaching God's word, like, at all so far. Maybe other people sleep great, but I don't on the flights. And as I came into the atmosphere back into the Pacific Northwest on the final leg of that flight, and we dropped into San Francisco and then San Francisco to Eugene, I... I was just praying in the spirit. I was talking to the staff and the elders and finally making phone calls. And I just was in my spirit going, Lord, there's something that that is crept in that I am can't get my finger on. And as I came back to the office and fired up some of the... So apparently there was a disturbance in the force. Got it. Okay. He's a Jedi. The emails that I haven't been able to answer overseas, there were several dreams and several emails of things that just people in the congregation see and hear. Now, I want you to know that this is not a rehearsed thing. This is not something that came to me from even the staff or the elders. But we ask. We believe that God speaks to us. We believe that God speaks to the congregation. Fact is, that's what the whole of 1 Corinthians 14, 1, 2, and 3 says. Oh, that all of God's people would prophesy. Hmm. Well, let's take a look at that. <clears throat> First Corinthians, uh, what did he say, 14? First Corinthians 14. So apparently this means that God's going to talk to all of us directly. Hmm. Is that what the passage says in context? Well, in order to add the correct context, because there are three rules for biblical interpretation, sound hermeneutics are context, context, and context. Yeah, those are our three rules. So in order to understand this, let's take a look at... 1 Corinthians chapter 12, so that we can get a better feel for the context of what's going on here in 1 Corinthians 14. Paul writing, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 1, Now concerning spiritual gifts, brothers, I don't want you to be uninformed. You know that when you were pagans, you were led astray to mute idols, however you were led. Therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the Spirit of God ever says Jesus is accursed, and no one can say Jesus is Lord... Not the Glenn Beck way, but the biblical way. Jesus is God. He's the God of the Old Testament. He's Yahweh. He's Lord, except in the Holy Spirit. Now, there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all and everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. This is for the building up of the body of Christ. For to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, to another the utterance of knowledge, according to the same Spirit, to another faith, by the same Spirit, another gifts of healing, by one Spirit, another the works of miracles, to another prophecy, another ability to distinguish between the Spirits, to another various kinds of tongues, to another the interpretation of tongues. All these are empowered by one and the same Spirit, who apportions to each one individually as he wills. Seems to me that um, that the this just what we've read here from verse four to verse eleven is arguing against the idea that everybody hears the voice of God. In fact, um, God the Holy Spirit gives all kinds of different gifts, and and some have the gift of prophecy, and others do not. At least that's what Paul's arguing here. For just as the body is one and has many members, and all members of the one of are members of one body, though many are one body, so it is with Christ. For 
in one spirit. We were all baptized into one body, Jews and Greeks, slaves and free. We're all made to drink of one spirit. For one body does not consist of one member, but many. If the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I don't belong to the body, that, that would make it, wouldn't make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, well, because I'm not an eye, I don't belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. Now, if the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? And if the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. Okay? The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are actually indispensable. And on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow greater honor, and our unpresentable parts will they're treated with greater modesty, which our more presentable parts do not require. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the body that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Now you are the body of Christ, and individually you're members of it. And God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, gifts of healing, helping, administrating in various kinds of languages. Are all apostles? No. Are all prophets? No. Are all teachers? No. Now, if you're following along in your English translation, um, you'll notice that it doesn't say no. And so it, it looks like I'm actually adding words to the biblical text, but I'm not. And the reason I know I'm not is because I'm capable of reading Greek. And in the Greek, where these questions are being asked, um, let me let me read a, a, sec- a section for you from the Greek, of, starting at verse 29. It says, Me pantas apostoloi? Me pantas prophetai? Me pantas didaskaloi? Me pantas dunames? Each of the questions is asked with a particle in front of it, may. That particle is untranslated, and it means that the question being asked asked is to be understood as answered in the negative. May pantas apostoloi means, are all apostles? Answer, no. Are all may pantas prophetai? Are all prophets? No. May pantas didaskaloi? Are all teachers? No. You see? That's what the Greek text says. So when I ask the question, so I'm, I'm translating this with a little bit more knowledge than what you're going to get in your English translation so that you get what's going on here. Are all apostles? No. Are all prophets? No. Are all teachers? No. Do all work miracles? No. Do all possess the gift of, the gift of healing? No. Do all speak with tongues? No. Do all interpret? No. The argument that Paul's making here in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 is that God the Holy Spirit gives a variety of different gifts and not everybody's got them. And he even goes so far as to say, are all prophets? No. Are all teachers? No. Do all speak in tongues? No. Not at all. Now, that sets the context that we can then go into chapter 14. Pursue love, verse 1, pursue love and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. 
For one who speaks in a tongue speaks to men, but not to God. For no one understands him, he utters mysteries in the Spirit. On the other hand, the one who prophesies speaks to people for their upbuilding and encouragement and consolation. The one who speaks in a tongue builds up himself. The one who prophesies builds up the church. Okay. Now, by the way, prophecy does not necessarily mean that you're talking about receiving direct revelation from God. In the New Testament sense, prophets are those who foretell what God has already spoken in his word. So you can actually make the argument, biblically, that a pastor who is rightly handling God's word and boldly proclaiming Christ and him crucified for our sins, he is foretelling what God's word says. And in that particular sense, you, in, in that particular definition, which is a perfectly biblical definition, that pastor is acting prophetically. And the idea there is you build up the body of Christ by forth-telling what God has revealed about himself already in his word. So hmm, now we got a problem. Okay, let's go back to the sermon. Brad here is kind of making the case that apparently everybody's supposed to hear from God. Hmm. May Pantas prophetai? No. We continue that they would operate in the giftings and the callings. And that if you hear something, that's why we have intercessors, Bob and Sharon and Larry and Penny and Amory and various people stationed as intercessory leaders to funnel things through. And then things come to me of dreams and of visions and of things that people see. I read all of those things. And it gives me a perspective of what God is saying, not only to our region, our nation, but also to this house. Because the word says in 1 Corinthians 14 that even when we do prophesy or we're operating in the gifts of the Spirit, that let two or three prophesy. Why? So that there is a turning of a perspective. Not every person gets every single thing. Doesn't care if you have a prophetic mantle on your life or you see things and see pictures or if you're called to be in the office of a prophet to the nations. You'll never see all that God has. That's why there needs to be collective voices that we see the fullness of it. And as I got home, I, I read some of these things that the intercessors and, and just people in the congregation saw. And I said, Lord, this is the word of the Lord to us. So what do you want me to do? So apparently some intercessors uh, apparently got direct revelation from God and emailed him to Pastor Brad. He believes that that's the word of the Lord to them, not the Bible. But uh, that the, the, those particular dreams, visions, whatever they are, and that's what he's going to preach on today. And I felt like the Lord said, I want you to read. Now I'm going to take particular one dream. I've cut it down but it, all the other dreams and all the other thoughts really fit into this application. And I want to read it to you this morning because the dream is not interpretive. The dream interprets itself, and it gives us a response of how we need to respond as a church. Is that all right this morning? And as I read this, I'm asking you to open your heart and to see if there's been any of that which is in the dream has happened to you. And if it has, let's take care of it so we can move forward. This is the short version. (laughs) As a church, we had come into what was a new type of land. Now, you remember the last five, six weeks we've been talking about living on the other side. So the dream was really in regard to 
the position of where we've been talking and where we've been occupying now on the other side. And it was clear to me that we were in, the land was some type of, in the dream, spiritual Middle Eastern land. I'm not sure of the exact location, but I knew we were in new territory and new place. Well, what the Lord said was our land to take. It was new territory, and we'd only just been placed there. It was a small strategic area that we had been placed, but that was only to be the place in which we were to go forth from. Pastor Brad, you divided the congregation into groups, five, six, seven striking points that we were to enter from. You had trained and prepared separate units specifically for strategic missions. Yes, that's correct. You're actually hearing this guy exegeting and preaching some sort of prophetic dream, and this is supposedly the word of God for them. That's right. Not God's word, not the Bible, whatever this is. Missions positioned these units at entry points of the region that they were to attack. And behind each soldier regiment, there were groups of families, both spiritual, natural, sons, daughters, nieces, nephews, brothers, sisters, parents, friends, and those that they disciple. Large groups of us, all in civilian clothes of all ages. Each striking point was was really at the mouth of a canyon or a ravine. And the area that we gathered in was large and flat and unimposing. But as that land was flat, it gave way to the canyons that led into valleys and open spaces that the Lord was longing for us to be our new land. A place that the Lord longed to bring us. A place that we had been calling out for in prayer and anxiously were waiting to hear from the Lord and to enter all that the Lord had for us. We waited and prevailed in prayer until we felt the Lord shout from heaven saying, Enter the land in which I have given you. And at that you sounded the shofar slash trumpet, and that as the horn sounded, the mountain shook, and all the troops and families advanced together. We on page so far, you can kind of see it in your spirit. So in other words, uh, whatever this dream or vision is about, it's mimicking the story of the children of Israel going into the promised land. And in picture, it, it envisions the uh, the folks of um, Life Bible Churches as soldiers in ranks getting ready to conquer. Uh-huh. All right. It was at this point that there was a shift in the dream. The base camp had been established. Your men, the soldiers, had been dispatched into the hills and into the valleys to scout the areas. And what was only for a little while, but there seemed to be an absence of you from the camp. You were out fighting with the people. But the majority of the people in the camp became comfortable with the land that we were sitting on. They built fire pits. They sat around the fire visiting women, talking with women and chatting. They went from camp to camp, building and visiting, or excuse me, visiting. Yeah, I I want to remind you all, he's preaching a vision or a dream as if this is the word of God, that what he needs to be preaching for his sermon. If you attend a church where the pastor is not opening the Bible, but supposedly preaching from a dream or a vision, run. That's what Jude tells you. These guys, depending on their dreams, 
this guy is preaching his dreams or somebody else's dreams. He's not preaching God's word. Yet we're to preach the scriptures, the, te- the, the God's word that has been once for all delivered to the saints, not dreams and visions. This is pointing us away from Christ and away from what he's done from us, away from the biblical text towards, I don't know, delusions of grandeur and all in the name of some spiritualized gift to receive special visions from God, and yeah, nothing could be further from the truth. We continue. Not building. Went from camp to camp, visiting and chatting away. Men, many men that were of fighting age, built fires, spent their days sitting, roasting hot dogs and marshmallows. The kids were sent off to go explore unsupervised. The attitude was of a campground, was leisurely, and it was lazy. The justification we gave ourselves was that God wants us to enjoy the land he's giving us. Now, this is the comment of the person that had the dream. Sadly, I found myself in this camp. And even though while I was uneasy and unsettled, I saw and what I heard, I also found myself doing nothing to change the scenario, what happened around me. And I, too, went along with it. Our mindset had changed to that of victorious overcomers and warriors, to that of vacationing, kicking back, enjoying the view, while a few of our men were risking their lives in the hills and the battle was not yet won. Yet the reality was the vast majority of the former inhabitants had been destroyed. And there were and I, I cut this short, but the, rea- the the saying here, the dream was that there was a sense of victory and a subduing that brought that sense of the atmosphere of going, "Hey, things have been cleared. Things. This is what this is what the land is." But the reality was that there were many, many more gathering in hills, reorganizing, regrouping, wanting and waiting to attack those of us in the camp that were sitting on our proverbial laurels and letting someone else watch our backs, watch on the night watches while we enjoyed the land that had been cleared for us. There were very few watchmen in the camp. But suddenly one came to me and alerted me that they saw two scouts from our enemy's camp in the hills that had made their way down to our camp. When the watchman subtly indicated to me where they were hiding, I realized that they were right on top of us. We had no weapons. We had no way to call for help. Most of our children were running through the hills unsupervised right in the midst of the enemy camps. My heart cried out, oh God, what are we doing? What have we done? And as I turned back to the camp to see everyone going about with whatever felt right to them as they were feeding their desires for entertainment and leisure, not sin, but just being distracted, I heard the Lord tell me with anguish in his voice, you know, those entertainment and leisure budgets sure do get in the way of uh, a really good, healthy tithe, don't you think? I wanted them to enjoy this land which I desired to give them. But the heartache of his tone was palpable, and the awareness of the, de- of the deception in our hearts and our minds that had justified inside of us what enjoy meant was unmistakable. We had chosen our definition instead of his definition. There was no regard in the camp for the fact that this 
had formerly been the enemy's homeland and that they knew the territory exceedingly well. Every nook, every cranny, every rock to hide under. There, there was no regard in the camp for the vengeance that would be in the heart of the enemy that would want to take back what they believed was their land. The watchman and I went from campsite to campsite now, warning everyone who would listen to take cover, to pray, to grab any and all arms, and to pull their children in and to cover them and protect them, warning them that the battle wasn't over and it wasn't just for the men in the hills, i.e. the staff and the elders and the leaders, that while we were at home base, at the home camp, we were to watch vigilantly, keep our eyes on our children close, teach them, warn them, teach them to pray and intercede with fervor, intercede with the leaders and the warriors fighting on the hills on our behalf. We needed to be ready night and day. We were to enjoy the land and the victory in the Lord, but we were to vigilantly protect it and guard it. The mindset in the camp was that if the enemy came... Just a reminder again, he's reading some dream or vision as if it's the word of God. And that's what he's preaching on this particular morning. And uh, again, the uh, the name of the sermon, in case you've kind of lost, hindrance to blessing. So this is supposedly some dream or vision given that will is exposing their hindrance to blessing. Back, Pastor Brad would just rally the troops and they'd take care of it. That is not a good mindset. Hallelujah. (laughs) Our troops and Pastor Brad, your men of leadership were out fighting day and night, but it was our job to protect, to watch over the land which we had claimed. But instead of the joy of guarding and watching and stewarding the valleys and the camps we had been placed in, we were selfishly kicking back and enjoying our extended vacations. In this new land, in order to hold our ground, no one could sit back. No one could just spectate or take extended vacations with visitors' attitudes. In my spirit, I was alarmed and I felt compelled to sound the alarm and to alert every member of our camp and to wake them from this attitude and stir them to arms. You know, I felt, I have another one I wanted to share here too, but, you know, the Bible in Isaiah talks about dumb dogs. It was actually an indictment of the shepherds of Israel that when they saw trouble, they lazed around basking in the hot sun, just eating, feeding, gathering things to themselves, and they refused to bark. You know, sometimes when when pastors and our team, elders and staff, we get things like this, it's very easy to go, man, I, I don't want to ruffle anybody's feathers. But that would make us dumb dogs. Would make us lazy dogs. Spiritually. Spiritually, we're, and, and if anybody's had an outside dog, and I know there's a few little bad chihuahuas in the house, but if, <laughs> if you've had an outside dog... You know that when something stirs outside the borders of your ground, it hears it first. And it alerts you out of your sleep or out of what you are doing. And I believe that's what's coming today. And the reason I felt so compelled that in every service to read this, because I believe that that's what's happened. I believe as coming back into the atmosphere, I sensed it more than what I was in. 
And when I read this on the email, I thought, this is the heart of the Lord to the congregation. It's not that we've done some great sin. It's not that we've walked off the cliff and lost something. It's the fact that we've been lulled to sleep with complacency. As I was praying through this this week, and I do this from time to time, called different members of the intercessory team that really prays over the church. And the fact is we're all called to be intercessors. It's not just a few people, but there's ones that I trust that have seasons, long seasons of proven track record in what they see and what they hear. And they become the gatekeepers as we all give what we see and hear uh, to make sense of it. And I called uh, Pastor Bob and Sharon, Elder Bob and Sharon, you didn't know what you call pastor, so to call him Elder, hallelujah. And uh, so I called them, I said, listen, we just need to pray over the church. I, I have a, just a, a burden that as I'm sensing this from the Lord, we need to, there's, there's something that's going on. And as soon as we started praying in the spirit, Bob said he saw this little satchel. And so I'll describe it like uh, some ladies have these velvet uh, thing with drawstrings where you can put a necklace or some bracelets or kind of keep it in your jewelry drawer. Ladies, you know what I'm talking about? Okay, well, Bob didn't see that. I'm just giving you that, all right? Bob saw ones that would be wore by people that had been out panning for gold or mining in a mine. Those that had picked through the rock and the hardship and took the gems or the nuggets of gold and placed it in the pouch or if you've been panning for gold after you've panned it out that the the pieces of the gold were in and you dumped them out and you put them in the sack and on that little satchel or on that thing there was drawstrings well unfortunately the picture that he saw was that the body of christ had had this bag full of precious treasure but the top was open now it's not I don't know about you, but how many have ever lost something that was valuable that you thought was secure on your body, like maybe a nice pair of sunglasses? Or you give one of your kids $10 for their school luncheon program, and they lose it. The reality is we've all lost value. Okay, does any of this sermon have have anything biblical to it? I mean, seriously, up to this point, not, not us. I mean, there's nothing. Nothing here from the true word of God. Nothing. How is it that uh, he, he has come to the conclusion that it's more important for him to uh, spend his pulpit time supposedly preaching about a, a dream or a vision that's come from somebody? Where did this come from? Yeah, we've got a, we've got a Bible, the full counsel of the word of God. Jesus says, and teaching them all that I have commanded you. That you know, We're supposed to go with the fixed... Uh, the canon of the Bible, and here we've got all this other stuff. And what's what's lost in all of this? Oh, oh, yeah. Sound biblical doctrine, a solid proclamation of what the Scriptures really teach, focusing us on Jesus Christ, God's faithfulness, Jesus and Him crucified for our sins and raised again on the third day for our justification. This is um, a complete and utter distraction which tells me this isn't really the spirit of prophecy from God the Holy Spirit. Because God the Holy Spirit, according to Jesus, will convict the world of sin and unbelief and point them to Christ. That's The, the, the Holy Spirit is always pointing us to Christ. 
whatever this vision is, it ain't pointing us to Christ. I don't even know what any of this means. But he's still waxing eloquent here about these particular so-called prophetic you know, dreams and visions. But, hmm, yeah, these seem to be working against uh, what God's Word has already commanded pastors to do. Preach the Word. Valuable treasure sometimes because we didn't realize that the top was open or a zipper had been undone and the contents fell out. And the picture was that he saw the, the Lord's hands coming and pulling the drawstring tight so that it would just pucker or pooch around that pouch. Why? Because, folks, if we're on the front line and we know we're a church of frontline people, the front line is not the salt flats. It's not this even, keeled, flat, no ripple, no difference in the terrain, just everything steady. No, when you're in a river church where the river of God flows and the current of the Holy Spirit, there's different forms of terrain you have to get over. Fallen trees and stumps and rocks and boulders getting into the present. And guess what happened? If that thing is not tied tight, then all of the treasure sometimes in the journey of getting where you know you're to be, you can lose the treasure on the way. But it was never to be the sense of it. The same thing as in this dream, that we could lose the principle of how we got the treasure. Notice he's exegeting the dream now. What we have in this place with the anointing, the presence of God and healing and deliverance is awesome treasure. And it's been panned out. It's been mined out. Not only the Holy Spirit has given it to us. He showed us where to dig and, and where, to, where to drill and where to get this. But it's been panned out through the labors of prayer and fervent worship and fervent seeking of the Spirit of God. And what a shame if we've allowed ourselves to not check the drawstring to keep the treasure that has been so ardently uh, pressed into by prayer and the hours of dedication of loving God. This morning, now I know this is a little different and I'm going to have the band come back up if they will. And we'll, we'll preach a message if we have time, but this is the message this morning. There is something else that I believe God has for us and I'm going to talk about the hindrances that keep us from favor, anointing, and fulfillment of the words of the Lord over us. But this morning, I want to deal with any person that has felt as though they've been, they have acquiesced on what you know we're to do. Uh, like the way you have, um, Pastor Brad, you've acquiesced on what the Bible tells you to do. Preach the word. You're not doing that at all. That's part of our vision statement. Oh, they have a vision statement. Oh, here we go. <laughs> it's like he's taken word, faith, uh, charismatic stuff and melded it with a seeker-driven uh, ecclesiology. Mm, okay, yeah, their vision statement. Directly from God, of course. Live the message. The message of what? Being transformed and being consumed with honoring Jesus. So that what? We can impart the message. Listen, you can't impart anything unless you've been transformed and are experiencing it right now. Then the L-I-F, further the message, means what? Extending the kingdom of God by E, 
equipping messengers that have been transformed by what's flowing through us. So how do we do that? We do that by loving people, L, by the impacting word of the Lord that we believe is live and living, by fervent prayer and engaging worship. That's who we are. So now he's preaching their vision statement. Hmm. Where was Jesus in that again? Hmm. That was all just the things you got to do. That was all law. There was no gospel there. If you've experienced, even in your own soul, where you've just maybe wondered or thought, why am I not as passionate as I used to be? Why am I not pressing into the things of the kingdom? Why is just... Maybe it's because your pastor isn't preaching the word. Maybe he's not really correctly teaching anything regarding the kingdom of God. If that's what you're feeling there at that church, the Life Bible Church out there in Oregon, um, yeah, that's probably the reason why, because your pastor's not doing his job. He's got you distracted and focused on other things. Routine or one time a week enough for me in the house of the Lord. And I think the dream is speaking to all of us. At every- oh, no, the dream is speaking to all of us. And now they're cueing the sappy music. I have to, say, I have to warn you, this is not the end of the sermon. This is kind of a false ending here. Eventually, he's going to get to a verse. Eventually. Every level. Does it matter what office or what ministry you hold? I'm here this morning because I believe God is saying he's coming today to break off every form of despondency, every form of discouragement, and just this lackluster thing And folks, we all do it. It's not a rebuke or condemnation. But everybody who pedals a bicycle stops pedaling from time to time. Come on. That's why most of us still have cars. (laughs) We don't like pedaling. (laughs) Right? Just be honest. Uh, It sounds like such a transparent emotional moment, but... uh... Yeah, I don't recall anything in the Bible about bicycles, pedaling, or even tandem bicycles. I mean... (laughs) The fact of the matter is, though, that that is the atmosphere that creates breakthrough, is when we pedal in the Spirit. Oh, so you got to pedal in the Spirit, that creates the atmosphere that creates breakthrough. What, What does that sentence even mean? Where is that taught in the Bible? Hmm? Together. And so I'm asking this morning, if you know you've stopped pedaling, now listen, this has several tangible expressions. The first of all is that as expression of coming to church early to pray, coming to church to serve, getting in pre-service prayer, getting in the sanctuary, stirring yourself, that God wants to hear your voice and your prayer. He wants you to be engaged in worship, not just allow somebody to entertain you. We don't believe in that. We believe in the corporate expression of pulling on heaven together. And then the that second we believe thing that in the, to... Hang on. We believe in the corporate expression of pulling on heaven together. Where do you grab Hmm? If you're going to pull on heaven together, are there handlebars on the back on the bottom end of heaven that you can then pull it down? Hmm? Where does the Bible say anything like this? This guy's really literally rolling his own theology and smoking it. 
ask you. Now listen, this is not a heavy. It's just a very simple thing. I know some of you have had real financial issues and you've talked to me. You've emailed me. You've called me. And and, and I like emails, but I don't like them as well as talking to you face-to-face and phone calls, okay? So that's more of my just pastoral heart. I like to hear your voice. I like to see your face. Email's great, but it's just... You can just read too many other things into it. I just like to hear the people. You said, listen, Pastor Brad, I have to choose between a service because of gas, because of our current working conditions. I just want you to know that's where I'm at. Listen, I understand that. I'm praying for breakthrough. This is not to put a heavy on you. But if you just got out of the routine, you've got out of the discipline of fervently seeking God on Wednesday night, I'm asking you to come back to Wednesday nights. Because here's why. Wednesday night is part of that propeller that circulates the atmosphere even for the weekend when you bring friends and family. So at Wednesday night, they have a propeller in the congregation that circulates the atmosphere of the Spirit. Mm-hmm. Yeah, right. Um, I've never heard of anything like this in the Bible. Um, again, more examples of him literally just rolling his own theology and smoking it. The job of the pastor, by the way, is to open up the Bible and preach the Word and you bring those that you've been talking to out in the community. It is the residual stirring of the anointing and the prayer that we've sought God together that busts through and carries over to the weekend. That's why you'll you'll not read anything in the Scripture about teaching how to get this this anointing thing. You can't do five steps to a great... So apparently there's no teaching in the Scripture about how to get this anointing thing, but... Don't worry, it doesn't need to be taught in the Bible. No, 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 no. He he knows it's true because of some other spiritual source. Okay. Greater anointing. Because it's caught. It's transferable. It's a culture. It it comes as favor as people pursue God and love God. The anointing opens up. Is that all right this morning? If you're here this morning now, And you say, you know what? I've been despondent. I've probably been undisciplined. And I've just allowed the fire to go down. I need to be stirred. Fact is, I need shackles and chains. I've I've been hemmed in. And I've just had a vacationer's mindset that I'm okay where I'm at. God, I need that thing broken off my mind. I must be stirred to reengage with the zeal of the Lord of hosts. If that's you this morning, having an open ear to hear, being directed. Just so you know, that was his cut, not mine. Living every day with a sense of adventure because you're speaking to us. God, let a zeal be stirred inside of your people. And God, let it come upon every heart for worship. God, pressing out of our denominational heritages, pressing out, Lord, of that which... The soul would try to subdue and breaking in to spirit. I mean, these sentences don't make any sense. I mean, they're about as coherent as my favorite nonsensical statement. Blue sleeps faster than Tuesday. I have no idea what this guy's talking. None of this makes any biblical sense. Worship according to John 4. For the Father is desiring those who worship him in spirit and in truth. Yeah, that's what Jesus said. The Father is desiring... Those who will worship him in spirit and in truth. 
Yeah, if you want the truth part, you actually have to open up the Bible and preach it, not this other stuff. Because, see, you're trying to do the spirit thing with, well, basically a bunch of lies. See, it doesn't work that way. It's spirit and in truth, and God's word is truth. That's what the scriptures say. So, uh, yeah, since you're not preaching the word, you're not preaching the truth, and so you don't have the spirit either. Let the zeal of the Lord of hosts come, consume us, ignite us, fill us, O oh God, that this would be a place of people, Lord, hungry for... Shout louder. Yeah, maybe, you're, maybe your God is a, on a journey or something. Shout louder, please. I'm, I'm sure he'll hear you if you scream louder. Maybe he's asleep. Maybe he's um, relieving himself. Just shout louder, please. Zion, hungry for an encounter, hungry for a touch of the living God. Lord, not just for themselves, but to those who sit in darkness. Let this be a city of refuge. Let this be a place where the name of our God, as we've even been heard today, is unrolled and unfolded. And the multiplied magnificence of your glory is released upon the people. God, we pray it this morning with great urgency. Yeah, that's yeah, great urgency. I can see that. Um, do you guys uh, have the Holy Ghost hokey pokey at your church? I'm, I'm just curious. Yeah. We'll get out of our silent prayers and we'll speak into the atmosphere. We'll declare over our lives and over our families. God will cry out aloud as the scriptures say that if we seek you with all of our heart, you will be found. God, we know you in this place. We found you. But now give us the zeal to keep walking with you, pedaling, pursuing walking hand in hand and under the anointing of Almighty God. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Yeah, do you think that just tacking Jesus' name at the end of a nonsensical sermon, will, uh, I mean, a prayer will all of a sudden make it make sense? Amen, everybody said. Amen, amen. If you can, take a seat in the, la- in the next seven and a half minutes. I want to open the scriptures to you. Now, I want to point something out to you, okay? Did you hear what he just said? In the next seven and a half minutes, I want to un, uh, to open the scriptures to you. Hmm. In the next seven and a half minutes, I want to open the scriptures to you. How much do you want to bet he's not going to open the scriptures for seven and a half minutes? He's already been preaching for 29. We continue. Watch what he does. <laughs> Hmm. Mark seventeen fourteen. Okay, just want to point something out. Uh, the Gospel of Mark ends at chapter sixteen. Hard to get to Mark seventeen unless you've got something new in your Bible that ain't nobody got. Um, but in this particular case, he's just making an error. It's actually Mark chapter seven, not seventeen. If you want to open your Bible to Mark chapter 7, please do so. I mean, we're going to hear a verse eventually, but it's not for the seven and a half minutes, like he said. Let's continue. Gospel of Mark, seventeen fourteen. Don't put it up quite yet. We just I just want to give them a reference. You know, guys, gals... You can always tell when a pastor hasn't really spent a lot of time preparing 
using the biblical text when he doesn't even realize, oh yeah, there's no such thing as Mark chapter 17. Any pastor who really truly is a student of God's word would know that there is no Mark 17. We believe something to be very, very true. It's not sermons that transform people. It's messages from God. Mm, Messages from God. Not the Bible, but messages from God. Okay, so that's what transforms people, okay? There's a radical difference. Fact is, I've never preached this message in our home church, but it's a message I take to the nations that God sends me. It's about the difference of those that carry a message that has a tangible, transferable anointing and those that just preach messages that leave the people with nothing. Mm. So where in the Bible does it talk about tangible, transferable anointings that go with particular messages from God? Answer, nowhere. He's just making that up. Sermons that leave the people with nothing. Our church has had some amazing messages in the last few weeks. The message from the Lord. Yeah, if you want to know for sure if you have a message from the Lord, read your Bible. About walking in forgiveness from Pastor Jenny, a message from Pastor Anthony, but still from the Lord on not allowing the power of pain and tragedy. Pastor Jenny? Uh, There's no such thing as a female pastor. The Bible forbids that. ...to shape and mold your life. And then the message from Sister Portia at the women's retreat on not living under the power of offense, staying clean. Of course, you remember her message to us of get rid of the poo. Oh, I'm sure that was really deep. If you don't remember anything, remember that title. Hallelujah. And then Pastor Steve's message on what he said he believed that the Lord was speaking to this church. Three things. Favor. Yeah, by the way, he said over the next anoint- seven and a half minutes, I'm going to open up God's word to you. He hasn't done that yet. When, when do you think he's going to actually get around to opening up the Bible? And fulfillment. Now listen, God doesn't need any of those things, right? He has We're waiting. He, needs. he has all the anointing he needs. And he has all the fulfillment he needs. That's why he says to us in the book of Revelation, I am the first and the last. I am the beginning and the end. He is self-sustaining, self-fulfilling. He is God. How many know we're not? Yeah, it kind of goes without saying. Uh, When were you going to get to that text in Mark again? You said you were going to open up the Bible for the next seven and a half minutes. You, You plan on getting to it? So guess what we need? We need his presence, his touch on our lives. His favor is meant for people. Favor on your life, favor on your health, favor on your relationships, favor on your finances. It's for people. What's the anointing for? Remember what Steve told us? It's not. Yeah, you got any Bible pass? Oh, that's right. You said the Bible doesn't teach about this tangible, transferable anointing thing because you get it a different way. Okay, yeah. Not for us. It's for people. More anointing so that what? We can give more of God away so that what? They can be changed and receive what God has for them so that what? Their lives can be fulfilled and we all need fulfillment. What is fulfillment? Fulfillment 
is reaching that which God has designed for your life and absolutely coming to the end of your journey full of peace and satisfaction. Now, that, that, that sounds like super spiritual and super religious and everything like that, but you got any Bible verses that say any of this stuff? Yeah, I, I'm noticing a supreme lack of actual Bible teaching, and you said that you were going to preach the Bible for seven and a half minutes, and you're not really following through with uh, what you said you were going to do, like not at all. That you've done what the Lord asked you to do. How many would say, that is what I want at the end of my life? I don't want any question. Will I, will I hear it say, well done, good and faithful servant, or will I hear, eh? <laughs> Yeah, the only reason why any Christian's going to hear, well done, thou good and faithful servant, is because Jesus Christ's perfect righteousness is imputed to us as if it's our own. Read Philippians chapter 3. If anyone thinks he has reason to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. And then he goes on to give his litany of how perfectly self-righteous he was under the Mosaic law as a Pharisee. And he says, I consider all of that rubbish, scubalon, so that I might be found in Christ, not having a righteousness of my own, but the righteousness that is by faith. Do you want to hear, well done, thou good and faithful servant? Repent of your sins. And trust in Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And Jesus' righteousness is imputed to you as if you're the one who lived it. It makes perfect sense because your sinfulness was imputed to him as if he's the one who committed it. That's why he's your substitute on the cross. Jesus Christ suffering the wrath of God for your sins. Your sins were put on him by faith. His righteousness is put on you. So all Christians were here will hear, well done, thou good and faithful servant, because Christ's perfect righteousness is imputed to us as if we lived it. Again, read Philippians chapter 3. Right? Because you know people live with that, don't they? There's things inside of people when we don't live a life under the canopy of his direction that people are longing and going, I hope I, I hope I did well. I hope I made it. I hope I did. Well, listen, that is a nagging, non-peaceful, non-loving thought. But the way to eradicate that is what? Having fulfillment. Walking. Oh, yeah, something you got to do. Yeah, so the way you do that is having fulfillment. Uh-huh, yeah, right. No, the way you have that, it's you're, you receive it as a gift from God. That's what the Bible teaches. In alignment with the Lord. Now, I don't have time to preach this this morning the way I want to. We'll get back to it. But listen, there's two things we have to walk under the canopy of. We have to walk under the canopy of the fullness of this word. Uh, you still haven't gotten to the biblical text yet there in Mark. Uh, you plan on getting to that anytime soon? You said you were going to take seven and a half minutes to do it. Why aren't you there yet? There is nothing new in this word. Do you understand that? We're not waiting for like the 13th disciple, Raphael, to pop out. Right? All of the disciples are already labeled. All of the truths are already bound in here. All we're waiting for is the wind of God's voice and his spirit to come and blow upon these truths to ignite because he's given us everything we need to know about him. You're just waiting for the winds of God's spirit to come and ignite. 
Yeah, I always get nervous when guys like that talk about ignition. Uh, ignition reminds me of fire. Fire reminds me of hell. And who he is and his plan for us contained in this word. So here's what God gets that nobody else gets. He's right all of the time. He's right. Haven't you ever, ever had anybody say that? Why do you always want to be right? Well, for God, he doesn't do it arrogantly. He doesn't do it selfishly. He just is right. And don't lump him in with the religious right because they're mostly wrong. God in himself is right. And honestly, every time we deviate, it is about something that we've tried to convince God about our life and our path that we're right more than he is. That's where most of all hindrances take place. That's where favor stops. That's where anointing diminishes. And that's where fulfillment seems elusive. Because at some area of our life, we've tried to convince God that our plan, our scheme, our direction is right compared to what's revealed in here. And apparently he's pointing to the Bible, but he's not preaching it and he's not teaching anything that's taught in the Bible. Weird, huh? You know, I mean, life, Bible, sure, sure. And he's not, he, he, um, we haven't heard any really thing, any significant, anything significant or meaningful from the Bible yet, sir. Come on. I, am I preaching to a bunch of unsaved people this morning? Come on. You know that what we're talking about here is absolutely right. That we've tried to shave off the truth. You see, we don't actually have to believe a fullness of a lie. We can just shave off the fact that we don't hold in our heart that God's way is the rightest way. I'm talking about shaving off uh, the truth. Um, you know, at this point, um, I, I can't even say that we've received any Bible shavings in this particular sermon. You said you were going to spend seven and a half minutes opening up the Word of God. You've pointed to it and talked a lot about it and warned people not to shave off stuff, but you've had, you haven't even gotten to it yet. By the way, talking about the Bible isn't the same as preaching God's Word. Big difference. Open up the Bible, sir. You're doing the very thing you're telling people not to do. Shave off the truth. Yeah, we haven't even got the truth yet for you to even shave anything off of. That there are possibilities. Isn't that what Eve did? Wasn't the fact that she wholesale diminished who God was. She just shaved off the fact that God's word was right, absolutely perfect for her life. And she shaved it to get something that she wanted or that was appealing. So in order, in order to resist demonic hindrances, because the Bible tells us that the enemy's strategy is to hinder us. And if we want to live lives that stay out of the snares of the hindrances, the first thing we have to do is we have to live our lives under the canopy of the word of God. That means every area. That means we have to love the word of God and we have to put our opinions, we have to put our philosophies, we have to put our emotions under the lordship of this word. Why don't you demonstrate that by being quiet? Stop giving us your little opinions and and talking just to hear yourself talk and actually open up the biblical text and preach it. 
Hello? I'm still waiting on you preaching the word for seven and a half minutes. And then the next thing is equally important. It's what we call under the wing or under the shadow of the Almighty. It's under the wing of his what? His protection. But it's not just protection. It's under his closeness. And I'm going to finish with that in just a moment talking about the closeness. But this is the thing that Jesus talked about over cities. It's what he weeped about. You remember when he talked about Corazon and when he, when he talked about other cities, especially Jerusalem. He said, oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how I long to gather. What? Put his wing prophetically. Gather you and bring you like a hen would. Yeah, notice he's just, you know, out of context, talking about something, about Jesus' triumphal entry into Jerusalem. Quotes him, you know, yeah, Jesus did say those words, but why don't you read the story for us in context so we can actually, you know, see the whole thing? It's little chicks. It wasn't that the fact that there wasn't a DNA transfer. The chick had what was in the hen. It was the fact that the hen had the longing to bring the protection and the safety. Yeah, I don't recall anything about DNA in the uh, Jesus's weeping over Jerusalem. Hmm, weird. Of his counsel and his closeness because it understood the atmosphere that the chicks were facing that they were not strong enough to deal with. And so if we're going to break... You know, when you shout it, it's sure to sound like you really are being inspired by the Holy Spirit, doesn't it? Not to me, though. Through the hindrances that try to come, then we must do what? Live our lives under the sole authority of this word and live in the close proximity of the wing of the Lord. And what that means is living in the power of the Spirit, keeping our ear open and not setting our desires, our affections on things that will lead us opposite of where he's going. Yeah, like bad preaching that actually doesn't open up the Bible and preach the word. When are you going to get to it, by the way? I mean... He went, went on and on and on about that so-called dream that supposedly came from God and claimed that it was the word of God for them, but it was really nonsense. Uh, you said you were going to preach the word for seven minutes, and we're like past that now. Um, you, you intend to get to God's word anytime soon, sir? Now, I asked you to open up to Mark seven fourteen, and I- Finally, no, you said Mark seventeen fourteen. By the way, it is Mark 7, but notice he's going to read a verse. A, ver- do you think that the Apostle Peter, by the way, the, the Gospel of Mark is, are the preaching notes of the Apostle Peter. Do you think that when Peter preached that um, he, he would spend a Sunday afternoon just preaching a verse from his notes about Jesus' life? Hmm? Or do you think he spent a lot of time talking about what Jesus taught and what he did? Like full-blown stories, you know, the whole thing, the whole kit and caboodle. Hmm? And I just want to deal with this, deal with this one verse, and Elton will cut me off in three minutes and a half, three quarters. So we only got three minutes left. You're well past your seven minutes there, sir. But you, you've got three minutes left, so we're going to quickly wedge a verse into this sermon thing. <laughs> All right. What does it say? If you could put it up there on the screen. When... He had called all the multitude to himself. You see, that's significant. That he there is Jesus. When Jesus 
had called all the multitude to himself. And you've got to understand that when the Holy Spirit spoke to Mark to write this gospel, that that phraseology is different than any other one. There was something on those words because there was a point that the Holy Spirit was trying to make. Uh-huh, right. Yeah, this is a historical narrative. You familiar with that particular genre? This is a historical biography. <clears throat> Three rules for sound biblical hermeneutics and interpretation. They are context, context, and context. Let's read this in context. Yeah, rather than just, you know, pull out a single solitary verse and somehow spiritualize it. Let's see what God the Holy Spirit inspired Mark to write. By the way, these are the preaching notes of the Apostle Peter. Uh, Verse 1, Mark chapter 7, verse 1. Now, when the Pharisees gathered to him, that's Jesus, with some of the scribes who had come from Jerusalem, they saw that some of Jesus' disciples ate with hands that were defiled, that is, They were unwashed. For the Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they wash their hands, holding to the tradition of the elders. And when they came from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they wash. And there are many other traditions that they observe, such as the washing of cups, pots, copper vessels, and dining couches. And the Pharisees and the scribes asked him, Why do your disciples not walk according to the tradition of the elders, but eat with defiled hands? And Jesus said to them, Well did Isaiah prophesy about you hypocrites. As it is written, This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. I bet you there's a reason why um, Brad didn't want to read that verse there, because this entire sermon is nothing, this this isn't the Bible he's teaching. He's teaching the commandments of his own mind, the commandments of men, the teachings of men. So Jesus here is railing against the Pharisees because they have all these doctrines and beliefs and things that they're doing. But Jesus just basically pops a big hole in their balloon and basically says, these from quoting the prophet Isaiah, these people honor me with their lips, their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. Verse 8. You leave the commandment of God, and you hold to the tradition of men. And he said to them, You have a fine way of rejecting the commandment of God in order to establish your own tradition. Notice, Jesus says here that they reject God's word and establish their own tradition, their own ideas. Moses said, Honor your father and your mother. Whoever reviles father or mother must surely die. But you say, Well, if a man tells his father and mother, whatever you would have gained from me is now korban, that means a gift that is given to God, well, then you no longer permit him to do anything for his father or mother. Yeah, that's right, because it's now a gift to God. Thus, you make void the word of God by your tradition that you have handed down, and many such things you do. Verse 14. And he called the people to him again, and he said to them, Hear me, all of you, and understand. There is nothing outside of a person that by going into him can defile him, but the things that come out of a person are what defile him. And, he, and when he had entered the house and left the people, his disciples asked him about this parable. And he said to them, Then are you also without understanding? Do you not see that whatever goes into a person from outside cannot defile him, since it enters not into his heart, but into his stomach, and then is expelled? 
And he said, what comes out of a person is what defiles him. For from within, out of your heart, out of the heart of a man comes evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All of these evil things come from within, and they are what defile a person. Okay, now that's the whole story. Okay, so it begins with the Pharisees being upset because the disciples aren't washing their hands. Jesus rebuking the Pharisees because they're not—they're rejecting and nullifying the word of God by their quote traditions. And then he teaches the truth: it's not what goes into you that makes you unclean; it's what comes out of you. It's what comes out of your heart, because in your heart, that's where sexual immorality, murder, theft, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, and foolishness, all of these come from within your heart, and these are the things that make you unclean. Jesus is pointing to your sinful condition, and it's from within you. It's the wickedness within you. That's Jesus' teaching. Well, let's see what Brad does with his verse you think of it today jesus could have had them sitting in massive conferences he could have had them spread out when we're talking multitude you ought to think at least a very very minimal number was four to five thousand because every time you see with multitude it was always in the thousands if you study it biblically Probably it was closer to 10 to 20. But if we just say 5,000, for instance, he was saying, I'm not going to allow my words to be spoken to those that are in the far off place. Because see, when there was no PA systems. Really, uh, Mark chapter 14, Jesus is trying to say, I'm not going to allow my words to be spoken to the far off place. Hmm. All it says is Jesus called the people to him again, and he said to them, Hear me, all of you, and understand there is nothing outside of a person by going into him that can defile him, but the things that come out of a person are what defile him. Yeah, where are you getting this stuff, Brad? Where would you learn uh, exegesis and biblical hermeneutics? There's no place. Then what happened? The word was spoken, and about ten groups later, then it got passed on, and then it got passed on, and then it got passed on. Jesus said this to the multitude. He didn't allow them to sit in conference style. He didn't allow them to say scattered, just hearing words. He made it very clear. I'm about to give you something that will break the hindrance that's tried to come over your life. Uh huh. Where is where does it say in Mark chapter seven that Jesus is about to break the hindrance that's come over their lives? Yeah. Um. Brad, you're like making stuff up here. The Bible doesn't say any of this. Where'd you get this from? I'm trying to teach you about fulfillment. Let the multitudes come to me. You see, the first thing that has to happen is that every person, that's why he said, hear me, everyone. Jesus is concerned about you. You're not some number clear off in the distance. He's asked. Now, I'll grant you that Jesus is concerned about you. This is absolutely true. What he's doing to Mark chapter 7, verse 14. Yeah, this isn't exegesis or hermeneutics that he's engaging in. This is just weird. 
asking you to come near to himself that he might communicate to you what it's like to bring you under the canopy of his word and under the shelter of his wing. He's got words of life that will bring favor, anointing, and fulfillment. But you have to come out of the conference setting and of the scattering of what somebody, of what somebody... Uh, uh, Mark seven fourteen has nothing to do with conference settings. That's never mentioned in the text. Else ...of what somebody else is teaching, and you've got to hear the words of what Jesus is saying to you. And then he says this, and I'm ending with this verse. There is nothing. Everybody say nothing. He's ending with this verse. I mean, wouldn't you, couldn't you argue he's actually beginning? Because, I mean, he, he never really got to it, right? Here we are just about at the end of the sermon, and we're getting a verse. Nothing. Now, in the Greek, that means the same thing. Nothing. There is nothing that enters a man from the outside which can defile him. We'll pick this up a little later. But that's not what the religious culture says. Um, He only gave half of verse 15 there. Um, Yeah, there's nothing that outside of a person going into him can defile him, comma, but the things that come out of a person are what defile him. Why is he leaving that part out? The religious culture says, look to the outside and begin to categorize and begin to separate on the basis of outward things. Hair, clothes, dress, actions. You probably heard one of the little mother's adages. I don't drink, don't drink, I don't smoke, and I don't chew, and I don't go with people who do. The problem is that those outside things, from the father's perspective, aren't the defiling agent. Right, what is? It's the things that come out of you, that come out of your heart. He just explains when he said, but the things which come out of the man or woman. Those are the things that defile. Okay, explain that, please. I'm not making light of abuse. Oh, here we go again. Cue sappy music. Or hurt or pain. Thank you. Uh, abuse, hurt, or pain. Hello? Jesus goes on to explain that out of the heart of the man comes evil thoughts. Sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, Wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All of these things come from within a person and they defile him. How come you switch to something about being victimized? I'm not making light of those things that were put on people's lives. But do you realize from the father's perspective, that did not defile you. That didn't defile you. And yet every weekend... We probably sit in here and there's somebody or multiples of people that hear that what they were exposed to or an action or an environment that somehow disqualified them before God, they didn't even want to come to the house of the Lord because of what was hit on the outside. And God says there's nothing. Look at it. 
There is nothing that enters a man from the outside that defiles him. That means that our Heavenly Father is looking at every single person, not from what they've done the week before. He's looking at the inside. Uh, Yeah, um, right. What did Jesus say is on the inside? What comes out of a person is what defiles him. These are the verses he didn't read. Verse 21, for from within, out of the heart of man comes evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, and adultery. Why is he making it sound like our hearts are pure and clean as the you know wind-driven snow? And it's only when there's a platform and a place to keep that thing that hit you from the outside that he says, that's defiled. Then he doesn't leave it there. He says, now come bring it to me. If you have ears to hear. That's why coming close was so important. Because sitting on the outside, you'll still think that it's the outward things that defile. But when you come to the inside and you come and you stand next to Jesus, every one of you hear and understand there's nothing you've been involved with. There's nothing that you've done. There's been no action so heinous that I've rejected you from what you've been in on the outside. Uh, That's not what the text says because out of the heart comes... Sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, deceit, sensuality, envy. Those all come from within inside of us. And those are the things that God condemns us for. Yet read, like, read the rest of the New Testament. Paul says that um, sexually immoral, adulterers, homosexuals, you know, gossip, slant, those people are not going to inherit the kingdom of heaven. And that's the stuff that comes from within, within, within us. Yeah, where's the cross here? Because that actually comes into play. Notice he, he didn't read this, any of this really in context. He's not teaching what the passage says when you read it in context. And it's the stuff that's inside of us, it's inside of our heart that cause, that that defiles us. That's what makes us sinful. And the only hope we have is, is that God is merciful to us because of Christ's shed blood on the cross for our sins. The way this guy is preaching it, it makes it sound like, oh, God looks at the heart and he goes, oh, look, it's all good in there. And you don't have to worry. Nothing's come from outside you to defile you. Oh, Jesus wants to come just give you a hug. Yeah, he's not preaching repentance and the forgiveness of sins. He's not preaching Christ and him crucified for our sins and resurrected on the third day for our justification. This is something completely different. Why? Because he has a completely different new uh, word from God. It, it comes in emails. It comes in dreams. It comes in visions. This other stuff, who cares? Right here at the very end, we got, well, a little bit more than a verse. We got like two but he didn't really teach us what it says, and what he's saying is directly contradicted by the passage when you put it back in context. This is the sure sign of a, of a wolf. This is the zipper, if you would. I deal with the heart. Would you bow your head and close your eyes? Thank you for being patient. If you're here this morning... Done. Done. No, this guy is... A, I mean charlatan 
huckster. Phony is a $3 bill. This is who Jude, Jesus' half-brother, warned us about. Wandering star, relying on his dreams, not really handling God's word correctly at all, like not even close. Yeah, we'll be praying for you folks there in Oregon. You've got a bona fide wolf in sheep's clothing, and his sheep's clothing is like barely covering anything at all. I'm surprised you haven't spotted the teeth, the nose, and the sn- you know, and the tail. Oh man, seriously, unbelievable. No, I mean this. I mean, I I don't know what else I can add to this. Pray for the folks there in Oregon. They got a bona fide um, religious predator and wolf on their hands there. All right. Need to remind you all, Fighting for the Faith is listener-supported radio. That means we depend upon you, your generous gifts, and financial contributions in order to continue to bring Fighting for the Faith to you. You can partner with us financially. Visit our website, fightingforthefaith.com. Click on one of the friendly yellow buttons. Till tomorrow, may God richly bless you in the grace and mercy won by Jesus Christ and his vicarious death on the cross for all of your sins. Repent, believe, be forgiven. Amen.